For those of you who don't know me, my name is Michael. I was here two weeks ago interviewing uh, two Indigenous leaders for our reconciliation. I'm not usually back this often, so it's a privilege and it's an honor uh, whenever Pastor Scott invites me to come and preach. If you don't know the context of how I fit into the picture, we have three churches, part of our New Life family, uh, New Life Kulangata, Rabita, and Brisbane, and I lead the movement of churches, which is such an honor. Um, but mainly, I just love coming and seeing what God's doing. And I, I think six people making decision to follow Jesus Christ yesterday is absolutely phenomenal. And I don't even know if you know that, but we joined our, our congregations together yesterday, and we had Kulangata and Rabina together. But it was cool and got a Scott and Mika that actually led the day. Um, and that was phenomenal. If you don't know Mika, she's a phenomenal young leader as well. She kills it. Uh, <clears throat> there's always this like, you know, thing as a leader where you watch the next generation come through and you're like, oh my gosh, they're gonna be so much better than me in every single way. And that's Mika, if you don't know her. Hey, um, I'm talking today about our next our second week of our series of Advent. Um, and, and when we're stepping into this, we're excited. If you don't know what the Advent themes are, they are love, joy, peace, and hope. And I get to talk about joy today. And as we do, I'd love if we just pray. Could we come before God in prayer? Gracious God, as we pause and as we just center ourselves on you, we know, Lord, that, that we want to hear from you today, from your word. Still our hearts. Guide our thoughts. And may just in these moments, may we just sense the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. You are so good to us. We love you, but not as much as you love us. May we know the joy of the Lord. May it be our strength today. Less of me, more of you. All God's people said, Amen. Now, I don't know the context of everyone in this room. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time. I grew up in the church, and growing up in the church, you learned a lot of annoying songs as a young kid. Um, shout out to anyone who knows exactly what I'm talking about. One of those annoying songs goes a little like this, and I'm not a singer, so brace yourselves. Uh, but secondly, as you hear me sing, you feel free to jump in if you know it, okay? You feel free, all right? It goes like this. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart. Down in my heart, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Yeah, beautiful. Don't keep going. The next verse is horrible as well. And when I was young, we used to sing this verse all the time, this song, is, I think is a means of our Sunday school teachers to remind us of the importance of joy. We hated the song so much that we invented a second verse that we didn't invent. It was written, but we like to think we invented it to make it a little bit more spicy and fun. And when we're thinking about joy, we'd follow it up. And if the devil tries to take it, he can sit on attack. What? Sit on attack. Right? And it's like, wow. And mom didn't like that one. But we love that one a lot. My, my favorite version is like, if the devil doesn't like it, you can punch him in the face. And like, it gets increasingly violent as you get older. But the problem with that song is that it superimposes an understanding of joy that we have joy in our heart. And the thing I'd love to ask you today is this. Would that song be true of you? Do you have joy down in your heart? Where? Down in your heart. I think, to be honest, for most of us, the answer is, I'm not sure. I don't feel happy today. Is that the same thing? See, over Easter, over Easter, that's coming. Over Christmas, <laughs> over Christmas, like the shops, we're really getting it early here at New Life. Uh, over Christmas, what we do is we pause and we actually think about why, what is the reason for the season? 
Every year we talk about the idea that our culture has seconded, has stolen, maybe has robbed the meaning of this season from us. And, and I would say we could all probably agree with that, but I don't know if we can agree to the extent that we need to. See, I think we still sometimes think that this season is about family. This season is about gifts. This season is about food. Now, all those things are good, but they aren't the core reasons why we celebrate Christmas. And the reason why I say that is, if the reason we celebrate Christmas cannot be celebrated by everyone around the world, then our reason is too weak. Not everyone this year will have family. Is Christmas still good news for them? Not everyone this year will have food. I mean, God willing, we will help where we can. But is Christmas still good news? Not everyone will have gifts this year. And so these things are good, but they're not the central idea. And see, at Christmas time, we pause and we remember these eternal gifts of God, these eternal gifts of peace, of joy, of love, and of hope that God has given us. This time, Advent, Scott, you would have heard last week, spoke about this. Advent means, in Latin, to come. And the idea is that Advent was a moment where we were reminded that Christ once was anticipated to come. But did you know that for most of Christian history, Advent was actually not about the birth of Christ at all? That came around in the Middle Ages. For most of the church history, Advent was about anticipating the second coming of Jesus. That we no longer have to hope with bated breath and fingers crossed. We believe in a king who will one day come again and wipe away every tear. That's what we pause to celebrate. That we have a foretaste of his coming in peace, in love, in hope, and in joy. And so the question I want to ask you today is this. Do you know peace? I hope after last week's sermon, you have a greater grasp on that from Pastor Scott. Do you know hope? Next week, Scott's going to speak into that beautifully. Do you know joy? Do you know love? Well, I hope by the end of today is that we might be able to wrestle with joy a little bit firmer. We might be able to understand it a little bit more beautifully. We sang a song at the beginning of this service, right? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. There's this moment where we sing these songs at Christmas time that maybe the full weight of the words sometimes are lost on us. And sometimes we sing these songs and we find ourselves groaning. Did you know there's a reason why you groan when you hear Christmas carols? They've actually proven psychologically that Christmas carols can actually lead to bad mental health. And the reason, some of you are like, I knew it. I knew it. And the reason is, well, they're not the reason. One of the reasons is when you go to the shops and you hear, you know, Frank Sinatra crooning over the, over the airwaves, or you come to church and we sing these Christmas carols, the reason is because Christmas carols have a trigger for your memory to think of all the things you need to do before Aunt Ethel comes over at Christmas time. And so there's actually a sense of, of like forlorn, like, you know, not wanting them to be sung. It's like, oh, no, I've still got to get prawns. Oh, no, I haven't got my Christmas tree up yet. And they've said, like, there's this subconscious nature to Christmas cows. But I wonder also if it's because sometimes we sing words that are trying to make us feel a way that we don't, a way that we don't. And today I want to ask the question about how do we know if we have joy? How do we get joy? What is joy? In Luke chapter 2, this is where this Christmas carol comes from. We read this beautiful explanation. After Jesus has been born, the angels rock up in a moment, and they speak to a group of shepherds in a field, and they say this. And in the same region, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. 
Now, let me pause here for a sec. When I was reading this, I realized every time angels rock up in the Bible, they always say the same thing. Fear not, or do not be afraid. If every time you meet someone, you have to say, fear not, you should try a different mode of approach. Just as an idea. They say, fear not, for behold, I bring you news of great joy that will be for all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I read this, and I kind of feel like this is a really big claim. Hey, fear not. Why? Because we bring joy, not just for you, for all people. For all people? Have you ever read that and thought, for me? Man, we just got a bad medical diagnosis this year. I feel like it's a bit insensitive for these angels to rock up and just be like, for joy for all people. You don't know what we're walking through right now. It's been hard. Finances have been difficult. My family's in disarray. I don't know if joy's on offer, but the angels don't seem to say joy is on offer for the rich. Joy is on offer just for the poor. This is joy for all people. And I raise that because I faced a point in my life where I was offended by this verse. About a year ago, I was a year into being pastor. I was the lead minister of all three churches here at United. And I've got to be honest, it was a hard year. I stepped into a role that was bigger than I thought it would be, and it was just full. And around October, November last year, I started to feel um, just like happiness was, was devoid from my life. Like there was a moment where I just, I was struggling to enjoy myself. Now I was high func- highly functional, like I was ba- able to preach and lead, and no one kind of knew, but there were moments late at night where I'd sit with my wife, so you doing okay? And I'd just start to cry. I don't know. I don't know. She said, I think you need to talk to someone. I'm like, no, 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 I'm a pastor. I talk to Jesus. Like, we're good. Don't worry about it. But she kept nudging me, and I spoke to my, my psychologist. And my psychologist was like, oh, this is um, it's quite serious. I think there's something going on in your body. I'm like, no, 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 I'm a pastor. Uh, nothing goes on in my body. I just talk to Jesus, and we're good, right? We're good. She's like, no, you, you need to go see a doctor. And so I, I found myself in a doctor's office over a year ago, and I was talking to this doctor, and and the doctor started to talk me through, hey, I actually think you may have depression. I'm like, no, I'm a pastor. Like, pastors don't get depression. And, and, she, and the doctor just said, no, there's, there's chemical imbalances in your body. It's been a rough year. This isn't about how good you are as a person or a Christian. It's, there's something wrong. We, 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 need a, we need to have some medical intervention here right now. I've got to be honest with you. That was a really humbling moment for me. I was meant to be joyful. I was meant to be the one that had, had everything together. And here I was having to prepare to preach on Sunday and having to be medicated for something I couldn't control. And here I was entering into a Christmas season where angels had the tenacity to say to me, joy for all people. Have you ever had that reality? So over this just next couple of moments, I want to talk about what God has led a journey what God has led me on to realize that joy is more than a feeling. Because here's the problem, friends. I'm so thankful for my doctors. And if you're in that moment and you're feeling like there's something wrong, go see someone, go talk to someone. But here's what I also discovered that the medication, the doctor, the medicine, medical intervention could get my body back to where it needed to be, it could make my chemical imbalance right again. But medicine and doctors can't give you joy. They can't give you joy. And so whilst that's so, and I'm so thankful for the medical profession, I needed a greater source of joy. And that is what I think Christmas comes to remind us of. 
Today, I want to talk about three things. The problem of happiness, the beauty of joy, and the practice of joy. See, one of the reasons why I think we find ourselves so devoid of joy is because we think joy and happiness are the same thing. We think that joy and happiness are interchangeable. We hear people say, I'm not happy right now, and we think that that means I'm not joyful right now. But actually, in the Bible, joy and happiness are not interchangeable. They have very different things. A couple of years ago, in 2003, McDonald's made Ronald McDonald the CHO, the chief happiness officer of their organization. And then other organizations decided, man, this is a really good idea. So they went and they started employing not Ronald McDonald, but actual chief happiness officers. It became CHO, became an official executive role in many organizations around the world. And this person's role was to make sure that the beer was free at staff retreat, that there were jet skis on offer on weekends, that email trails were like, you know, shortened and like inboxes were less. Their whole role was to ensure people had fun at work. And what they found is that, yeah, it increased a lot of people's happiness, but there was one person's work life who became increasingly unhappy the further the job went, and that was the role of the chief happiness officer. As they became the subject of everyone's wants and desires, they became increasingly unhappy as they became the subject of people's complaints, disappointments. Like, I can't do this anymore. But I think, to be honest, we could laugh at this, but this is how we actually do treat happiness. It's become this way that we chase suffering. Man, if I'm suffering right now, I've just got to go do something that feels good so I can be happier. And we try and mitigate against suffering and pain by chasing a feeling of goodness or a way that we can get more in our life. So what do we do? We buy more things. I love getting parcels. Anyone else like getting parcels in the mail? I'm like, what did I buy? This is great. You know it's a problem if you can't remember. That's a big thing. We chase romantic relationships. We get married thinking that marriage will bring us happiness, and it doesn't. No, it's good. Marriage is great. But happiness is not the source of your partner. It should not be something you heap on your partner. What do we do? We chase promotions. We chase money. And all these things, they end up actually leading us into a worse place. A theologian says it like this. The human heart is a vacuum. And what it does is it longs to suck onto things that seem to promise it happiness. We chase sporting teams, don't we? Not me, I hate sport. But some of us change sporting teams. And the idea behind it is this, if they win, oh. But the problem with that is only one team wins every year, which means the majority of the population is really unhappy. And this is actually the truth of most of our sources, is that we chase these things of happiness, they give us a good feeling for a while, but it doesn't last. And so like someone that's addicted to a substance, we're addicted to a feeling, and so we keep on chasing these moments and these experiences. This actually comes from this guy named Epicurus. For those of you like, I was hoping someone would teach me Greek philosophy today. Here you are. Welcome, friends. Epicurus was a Greek philosopher who came up with this idea of the way to be happy is to do four things. Number one, don't believe in God. Number two, don't worry about death. Number three, forget about pain. And number four, forget acquisition of meaningless things. Instead of these things, Epicurus said, all you should do in your life is chase pleasure. Now, this was the forefather of something called hedonism. And hedonism is something we see in our world today. It's the idea of pleasure is the ultimate good. All I need is to have pleasure. Now, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. Friends, there's actually nothing wrong with happiness. Both are God-given gifts. But you would know, I don't know if everyone in this room, but if you've suffered, if you've walked through something, if you've had mental health concerns like myself, if you've had these illnesses in your family or moments of profound pain, you know that pleasure can only do so much. 
But pleasure won't remove pain. Pleasure won't remove suffering. And so hedonism leads us to this form of life which goes, just get more, have more, but it leads us like, like hungering for that which cannot fulfill. It's like we are thirsting for water but just drinking salt and wondering why we're still thirsty. This is where we find ourselves. And the truth is that actually when you read the Bible, God never once promises, never once does he say, all I want to do is to make you happy, ever. Now, I preached this last week, and Anna, who's actually a young adult, passed up at um, Rabina, said to me, some people think you're, you're saying that we should never be happy. And please, friends, there is nothing wrong with happiness. If you're happy right now, all power to you. That's awesome. I pray it lasts forever until your sporting team loses. Like, I hope it's a good time. There's nothing wrong with happiness, but here's the problem with happiness. It just doesn't last. And so happiness is a great thing, but it's not an eternal thing. And that's an important thing for us to understand. God's chief end is not for us to be happy, but it is for us to be joyful. You see, the word happy actually comes from a Middle English term that was created to describe those who were thought to be lucky. This is why happy is a root word for happenstance and happen. Things happen to you coincidentally. These are not orchestrated events. They're like, man, I feel happy right now. But here's, here's the heart of this. I believe that God doesn't want your joy to be based on a feeling or a momentary circumstance, but on a deep inner reality that nothing can change or rob from you. That is what God is longing for us. Friends, do you have that today? Do you have that today? Because the other issue with happiness is that psychologists have said that actually 50% of happiness is actually determined by your genetics. Which means, if today, friends, you are unhappy, you should blame your parents. That's it. But it actually makes sense to me. I'm a melancholic introvert, right? Like I enjoy time by myself. I enjoy brooding existential questions and thinking long into the distance. I'm very rarely present in a moment, right? And I'm like, why is it? It's like, that's part of my genetic makeup. And that's okay. Because it's okay to not be pre- my wife, unnaturally happy. I'm not quite sure what happened to her at birth, but she is unnaturally happy. But that's still not the equivalent of joy. See, the beauty of joy is something far greater than happiness. Happiness is great but it compares nothing to joy. Joy is far greater. And this is what the angels came to say in this moment, because they come to bring good news. They say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, even pastors who are struggling with their mental health. The angels make a simple statement here, but who do they say it to? Who have they come to tell about this gift of great joy? What do they say next? Unto you. Not unto Mary, not unto Joseph, not unto Caesar, unto you, you weird poor shepherds on the side of a hill. Now, for those of you who are like, why are you being so rude about shepherds? Well, 2,000 years ago, the reason why this statement is so controversial is because many of you will know 2,000 years ago, shepherds were the dropkicks of the ancient society. No one announced anything to shepherds. You might remember David from David and Goliath days. Where was David when all the official stuff was happening? Out in the field. Why? Because he was a shepherd. And no one went and got shepherds. They were always the runts of the family. So what happens in this moment, right, is that Jesus, the news of Jesus' birth rocks up to the outcast, rocks up to the outsiders, rocks up to the lonely. And isn't this good news for all the New Zealanders in our room? God loves shepherds. God loves them. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Some of you clearly a lot more New Zealanders in this room than we were at Rabina last week. That's fine. But here's what it actually means is that this is a foretaste of the kingdom. It means that the kingdom is good news for the outcast. 
The kingdom is good news for the lonely. But it's more than just the shepherd. Kingdom is good news for the sinner. Kingdom is good news for those who are broken. Kingdom is good news for those who have depression. Kingdom is good news for those who have anxiety, for those who have bad uh, ill health in your family right now. It is good news for those who are overlooked and who are forgotten. And friends, if none of those words have ever described you, then the joy of Christmas will never delight you. There's only those who at some stage in their life have said, I am a sinner. I am broken. I need help. That is the person the joy of the Lord can be known truly to. Because in this moment, these angels walk up to this group of shepherds, this group of outcasts, and they say two things. They say two things that are the definition of joy for us today. What is the joy of the Lord? They say there is a gift being born to you today, and this gift will be the Savior, and he is Christ the Lord. And this, friends, tells us that joy is ultimately two things. Two things. That joy is an internal reality and an external trajectory. See, what we learn to these shepherds on the side of a hill is that joy is, first of all, an internal reality. What's the first sign of the gift? The first sign is that he will be a savior. See, why do we need a savior? You only know you need a savior if you know your internal reality is messed up. Maybe you're here today and you're new to church and you're like, I've got this all together. Everything's fine for me. Nothing's wrong inside. Can I just say the gospel of Jesus Christ will be really hard for you to understand. But for those of you who may be like me today, when you look in your inner world, things aren't always okay. When you think back through your life and you're like, I've made mistakes. I've stuffed up. I have things wrong. To you, there is good news. There is good news of a savior. His name is Jesus. And this boy would not just be born as a baby in Bethlehem. He would grow to be a perfect man, living a perfect life, to die a perfect death. And the truth is, the reason why we need a Savior is because every one of us, I believe, have a broken internal reality. That's come from the fact that mankind rebelled against God, said, stuff you, I want to go and do my own thing. And our own thing hasn't worked. We're more depressed, more anxious, more sad than we've ever been, more broken than we've ever been. And to that, at Christmas time, we're reminded God has an answer. He became human. He became a boy. He became the savior of the world, who by the blood of Jesus Christ, friends, we can be redeemed and forgiven today. If your internal reality is messed up, as mine has been, there is a savior who wants to make you new. And to those of us who are Christians today, let me remind you what I read in Hebrews this morning. Our Savior is sitting down. You want to know why that's good news? Your job is done. You've stuffed up this week. If you fell short, here's what God reminded me today. Michael, I don't need to die again. I don't need to make another sacrifice for you. It's done. I love you. I forgive you. You are forgiven. You know that today? Joy is an internal reality, friends, that what is messed up can be made whole, and it's an external trajectory. What's the second thing they say? They say, he is Christ the Lord, which means this isn't just a baby who will be a savior. See, the saving works of Jesus Christ are only part of the gospel. The fullness of the gospel is that Jesus didn't just come to save, he came to reign. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has instituted a new government, which means our joy doesn't come from the Labor Party, from the Liberal Party, or from the Greens Party. It comes from a new government that's been instituted that is for the last, the lost, the broken, and the least, and that this joy means that we may walk through suffering now, but Christ the Lord will one day come again. One day, the Bible tells us, that this King who died once also rose again. And what is my hope, friends, as Scott will talk about next week, my hope is this, that there will come a day where there will no longer be depression, 
There will come a day where there will no longer be anxiety, where he will wipe away every tear. He will cure every cancer. Everything will be done, and he will reign over the heavens and the earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I wait expectantly for that day. That is why in the suffering of the moment, we can have joy. Because joy is an internal reality and an external trajectory that is not defined by my current circumstance. Friends, this is a picture of joy. This is a Syrian church at a Christmas time returned to their bombed out building after they had fled ISIS having bombed and ransacked the building were finally driven from their area and a Syrian church gathered. And they gathered and in the middle of their building, I don't know if you can see that, out of the rubble, they put a pyramid of rubble together and they draped leaves around it and they put a star on top. This was their Christmas tree. Now in that moment, how happy do you think they felt? But what they came to gather together is to celebrate joy. Not even ISIS can take away our internal reality. Not even ISIS can remove for us our external trajectory. We can have joy at Christmas time. Friends, if someone was to destroy this building and you were forced to gather in the wind and the rain, would there be joy in your midst? That's how we know the joy of the Lord is our strength. Timothy Keller would say it like this, whilst other, whilst, whilst other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys for seeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. Friends, you could be walking through profound sadness right now in hardship and pain, but the Bible testifies you can still be joyful. That's why in John 16, verse 22, we realize that joy is a promise from Jesus. So with you, he says, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take your joy, says Jesus. Paul writes again and he says to this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, in this moment, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Now we look at this and we're like, Paul, where do you get off, man? This is so hard, but Paul's writing to a persecuted church, a church like the church in Syria. A church who are fearful for their lives. They don't know if their wives, their husbands, or their children will see tomorrow. And he says to them, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. How does Paul have the guts to say that? It's because he knows joy is not a circumstance. It is an internal reality, an external trajectory that no one can rob it from you once it's been revealed to you in Jesus Christ. Friends, happiness is nothing but the passing of water through the hands. It's momentary, it's delightful, but it can be gone. Joy is an inner fire. Joy is an inner fire that when we feed it, it warms the heart on the cold journey home. This is what joy does. Henry Nouwen, Henri Nouwen, for those who know that that's how you pronounce his name, says it like this, joy is an essential to the spiritual life. Whatever we may think of or say about God, when we are not joyful, our thoughts and words cannot bear fruit. Jesus reveals to us God's love so that his joy may become ours and that our joy may be complete. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away. Joy is not the same as happiness. Step. We can be unhappy about many things, but joy can be all, can, but joy can still be there because it comes from the knowledge of God's love for us. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy. 
and keep choosing joy every day. It is the true choice to be based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. Friends, do you know joy today? Do you know joy today? I believe that God has come this season. He came 2,000 years ago that you might know joy. So what does joy look like? Joy is not just beautiful. I believe joy is a practice. Just like if you want to keep a fire alight, it needs fuel. So too, joy is a rhythm that we choose in our lives every day. You know, friends, when I, when I walk through that season, and I'm still in it, for those of you who know struggles with mental health, it's not something that can be solved by a prescription. It's a, it's a constant in your life. And as I walk through this time, where there are moments of sadness, where there are moments where my thought life struggles, I've had to learn two things that have really been bolsters for the fire of joy in my heart. The first is gratitude, and the second is anticipation. We live in a culture where we have lost the blessing of gratitude. At this time of year, you know, you know I hear more often than not is words of entitlement, words that say, I deserve. Aunt Ethel, better not. Hey, I hope someone texts me. Our church had better. These are words and languages of entitlement. Man, I see this so much in my life. When I feel down, it's everyone else's problem. How dare they? These are words of entitlement. But entitlement is the antithesis of gratitude. You can't be grateful and entitled at the same time. So I've had to learn gratitude. God, I'm so thankful that I have a job. I'm so thankful that I have two boys and a wife that love me even when I'm grumpy. I'm so thankful that even when I'm sad, God, you have joy for me. You have joy for me. And you know, if all that fails, can I tell you one thing I can always be joyful about? God, I'm so thankful that you took this sinner of a man, this broken human being, this, this random young 21-year-old guy who was just doing dumb things with his life and said, I have a plan and a purpose for you. Come home, my son. I love you. Friends, I can be grateful for that. What are you grateful for this season? Second thing is we can anticipate. We can anticipate. We do not anticipate well, but Advent is a time of anticipation. We can anticipate that there will come a day, friends, when I will see Jesus face to face and my mental health will no longer be a limp. What is it for you? I look forward to that day with great anticipation, but I'm not the only one. I believe the Syrian church looks forward to that day and says, one day we will no longer be afraid. No longer will we be afraid of bombs and of war. We will worship freely our God. I finish with this, this thought from Joni Erickson Tata, one of my favorite um, people. Uh, she, you may have heard me talk about her before. She's a quadriplegic. She can't move her arms and legs. And one Christmas, she's sitting in a church. A pastor hops up, as pastors do, and goes, I sense God wants us all to kneel. And everyone kneels around her, and Joni, unable to kneel, bursts into tears. And in this moment, the pastor comes over and says, Joni, I'm so sorry. I'm so insensitive to you. How could I ask everyone to kneel when you cannot? She says, Pastor, I'm not weeping out of grief. I'm weeping out of joy. Because in this moment, I saw heaven. When we are with him, one day I will kneel with him. And I hold to that day. I hold to that day. Kneel away, because I'm experiencing heaven now. That is anticipation. 
In the middle of pain, we can have joy. In the middle of pain, we can have joy. Finish with C.S. Lewis quote. It's always, you know, a great sermon when C.S. Lewis makes an appearance. Good things as well as bad, you know, are kind of an infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great foundation of energy, beauty, spurting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. Friends, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus makes a promise to us that he is the source of our joy. That's why in John chapter 15, he says this, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. If you keep my commands, if you abide in me, what will happen? I have told you this, that you may, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be. God's hope for you today is that you would abide in him and that joy would be your story. You have joy in your heart. As a pastor who struggles with anxiety and depression, let me just tell you today, I have joy, joy, joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. Nothing will take it from me. I will feed it. I will, I will nourish it. I will practice that joy, but I will not be the source of it. Joy is found in Jesus. Do you know him today? Would you pray with me? Gracious God, Please pause in this moment. Please wait. So as you sit there with your eyes closed, just when you ask that question, do you know joy? Do you know joy? There might be people in this room right now that do not know the joy of your salvation, the source of all joy. And Psalm 51 says this, restore to me, remind me again the joy of my salvation. Maybe, maybe today that's you. You've never known it initially. Is your internal world messed up right now? Is there shame? Is there guilt? Is there pain in your life? I've come to tell you that there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. And he wants to restore your inner world today. Hey, friends, if that's you, if you want to know the joy of salvation, if you want to bring your sin to Jesus, say sorry, repent, and turn, that he might be your Lord and Savior. If that's you, you want to know joy this Christmas and the joy of the Lord. You want the joy of salvation. Would you raise your hand wherever you are right now? Just as we wait in this moment. Thank you, Jesus. I'll wait for you. One moment longer. That's you today. You raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. I see those hands. Thank you so much. You can put them down. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you so much for people today who, like me, have come before you and said, God, I need you to fix some stuff in me. God, the thing we need you to fix the most is our selfishness and our sin. So church, I'm going to lead us all in a prayer right now. And some people raise their hands. We're going to pray with them. And Christians in this room, this is where you pray loud. Because we're excited. We're joining with heaven. People are, are choosing joy of salvation over every other form of happiness. So we say today, would you repeat these words after me? Dear God, I long for joy. Would you fix my inner world? I'm sorry for my sin. Wash me clean. Make me new. Bring me joy. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus, we thank you so much for people who responded today and said, I need to know joy and the joy of the Lord and the joy everlasting. God, I know what it's like to walk in darkness. You have not called us to be a people of darkness, but those who have seen the light. May we join with heaven today and celebrate those brothers and sisters who have said, I want to know you as the joy in my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Cement what you have started today in Jesus' name. I just want you to stay praying in this moment. And um, as I was writing this sermon a bit over a week ago, I just sensed to, there'd be some people in this room, in every room where I preach this. Maybe you're a Christian right now, and you're like, that's awesome. Some people came to know Jesus, but boy, I'd, I've forgotten the joy of my salvation. I'm tired. I'm weary of this sadness. Just with people still praying, I want to ask you to do something courageous now. If that's you, if you're like, I, I need God to remind me of the joy I once knew. If that's you, I want you to do something courageous. Would you just stand wherever you are? Would you stand with me? If that's you today, would you just stand? Thank you so much. It's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're a Christian in this room and you're not standing, there's some brothers and sisters standing. Could you go stand with your brother and sister? If you have breath in your lungs and you call Jesus the Lord, like it's not like if you're on team here at New Life. It's like if you love Jesus, just go stand with someone. We have some friends. Let's move down here. And maybe you're new to church today and you're going, what do, what do I do? What, what's happening? We're just going to create some space for God to move right now and speak. Just stand with them. And if you sense God, say something edifying, encouraging, uplifting, pray it over them. But just what they need to do is stand with them. And we just trust the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting right now. In Jesus' name, I pray, Lord God, that we would just sense your spirit moving. Restore joy. Restore joy. Let's just wait on him together just for a moment. And if you're not, if you're not praying with someone, maybe just you can, where you are, pray for these people. Thank you, Jesus. We wait on you.